Take your Bibles, please. Take your Bibles, please. Joshua chapter 3 this morning. Joshua chapter 3. Now, I was asking the Lord over the last little bit, He had me to preach this morning. Had some different burdens and different things go along the months as I was, knew I was in the schedule. And uh, the Lord actually gave me a, uh, a burden to preach a combination. Don't worry, it won't go long, but a combination of an old message that some of you might have heard um, and another uh, really uh, brand new thought and a, a burden that God has given me. And I think and I hope and I pray that it will be a, a help to you in the middle of the nine-week block. And uh, I will tell you what, uh, I understand. You say, everybody always says they understand how they feel, okay? I do. I was one of you at one time, okay? Um, I was a BCM student. I remember the Miami block. I remember the craziness. Um, and I remember the, the pressure. I remember the sicknesses. I remember the cold as a student. Getting out, you're like, oh, this is cold. I didn't have to walk to the Heritage Center, though. We just walked in the circle right here. Can you imagine? We had, we had a chapel in Belle Paul B. And we had all of our meals in Fellowship Paul C. And we had a class in Fellowship Paul A. And we had class in the activity center. That's a laugh. Um, <laughs> we had classes on either side of the activity center. I had Old Testament survey with Dr. Reinhardt uh, in Mr. Coleman's office. Oh, that would be Mr. Forster's old office, that storage room down there. Uh, the costume room, I had a couple classes in there um, without the costume. So easier days back then, right? We have to go a little bit. It keeps you, keeps you skinny. That's good. We're going to talk about something today. I think it's going to be very much right where you are all at. I have entitled the message simply, Overcoming the Impossible. Overcoming the Impossible. There are some of you in the room right now, I'm just going to cut right to the chase, that are in desperate need of a miracle in some way of your life. Now, some of you are in desperate need of a miracle Somebody is dying that you know. Somebody, there's a ma massive financial problem. Some of you have what we would, we would deem major, major problems. But some of you need a miracle in your life, and for you, it's a major problem. Now, you explain it to anybody else, and even though some people would be, would be sympathetic and people would be helpful, they might look at you a little cross-eyed and go, why are you struggling with that? But for you, it's impossible. For you right now, you are facing mountains. Right now, you are facing impossibilities in your life. And maybe you are in desperate need of a miracle. You know, we've all been there. Uh, even in the non-important areas of life. I was thinking through my own life back, and this is not important, but it, it, was, it was a... Something that stuck out, stuck out in my mind. I was back in high school. It was actually my senior year. We're playing flag football. This is, by the way, back when we say flag football for the youth, I think we all kind of think, oh, huh, these little boys are running around. You know, the guys who were running around the field right now would have literally been killed on our field. I'm not even kidding. We had guys who played uh, defensive linemen on Virginia Tech playing on our, out there, 350 pounds running against us. Uh, we had guys who were 6'8", 6'10", Huge. I mean, I was, I was six foot, and I was the sh one of the shortest guys in the field. 
Okay, so we're, we're dealing with a different day. I'm not sure if everybody's shrinking these days, but our youth group was big. It was huge. I mean, we had guys that literally would tower over you, and you're a seventh grade junior higher going, I don't know why I'm going around against this guy. And uh, you learn how to pull flags with people literally running over your face. Um, uh, I knocked two guys out of games, literally knocked them con concussions straight out of games with being a running back, put my head to their, to their chest, and I wasn't trying to be, you know, bad. They knocked me out of the game, so <laughs> twice, so payback. Um, but my senior year, we were playing, it was more full, t full contact uh, uh, flag football is really what it was, without pads, so it was perfect, really, really helpful, like rugby. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding, actually. So <coughs> senior year, we had about, I think it was about maybe eight seconds left on the clock. We're down by less than a touchdown, so a touchdown would have won it. We didn't even need a uh, two-point conversion. We're down to the last second. I mean, literally the last seconds of the game. Last play of the game. My dad was coaching our team the senior year, which was really cool. And uh, he, calls, he calls us over. We had a timeout. He looked at, me and looked at me, and he said, I was the quarterback, and he said, son, take the ball. And, you know, there's always the receivers. And back then, we, you know, everybody had their positions, and it was pretty. It was a big deal. And the receiver was like, give it to me. And the running back's like, no, give it to me. And my, son, my dad's like, son, take the ball. And I said, okay. So I got in the huddle. They're like, come on, man. Give me the ball. And I said, Coach said, I'm like, I'm not giving it to you. I'm taking this. In my senior year, we're going. And we needed a miracle. It was eight seconds. I think we were on like 45-yard line. We were a long way from, from a home, okay? And we were playing a very good team. Winner went to the championship for, the, for, all, you know, for all the marbles, right? Set hike, ran, and I look, and I'm running down the sideline, and I look to my right, and the fastest guy who was playing across the field, guarding the other guy, saw me, and he, he, was, he was a deaf guy, and we were always rivals, and he was cooking with gas. I mean, he was flying. And I'm not a, I am not a physics person or how, you know, ang angles, things. That does not make any sense. At that moment, though, I became an expert. I knew that he was going to meet me at the goal line. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? If I don't score, game over. So I remember just trucking down. And I remember passing, you know, the, the down marker. And all the people on the left side, I'm running full speed. The time's over. I remember a college student, unsuspecting college student who did not know football, was like, time's up, game's over. Thinking you do not know football. It happened to me in my mind as I was running. I just hear him saying that. I'm like, nope, you don't know what you're talking about. I kept running. If you think that's, yeah, it's not. Okay, so I kept running full speed. I mean, the clock is at zero zeros. Everything's over, and it's literally me and this guy. Everybody's gone. It's just me and this guy. And I see him coming up. And <coughs> maybe a miracle because he was really good at pulling flags. I wasn't praying, don't worry. Um, I was just running. And I remember diving in under his flag, kind of like a, like, you know, like you go under a, one of those bars in the game, you know, like, like those poles in the game. I remember diving under and his, his hand missed and I slid into the end zone before I touched the ground. I was amazed. The time's over, won the game, went to the championship and won in my senior year. Really cool, cool thing for a high schooler, okay? Doesn't matter at all in life, okay? Except for the fact that I hurt from every game I played. Um, my mom never came to my football games for a good reason. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I needed a miracle. I, actually, I was reminded of this on Friday, my last, my last uh, softball game for, for Go Forth. Uh, we had won uh, all the championships in, our, in the softball. We wanted to finish it up, and it was raining, actually raining worse than, than we did on Friday. It was puddles that we had played with a 16 in softball, so it felt like we were hitting a brick. Um, and we were down by, I think, by four or five. We came back and won on a walk-off walk. And uh, bases loaded, walk off. Walk. The, 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 nobody could pitch anything. It was like whoever just lasted, and we were the home team, and we got. I was literally what it was. Um, and you know, you, you're in the dugout, you're biting your nails, you're thinking, oh, we need a miracle, we need a miracle, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about? You watch your team, you're like, I need a miracle. Well, that, we, we say miracle, but that's, that's not really what we need, right? And my, my daughter's praying, I think she literally is, for the Braves to win the World Series. Okay, she sobbed, but they didn't. I, I want the Braves to win the World Series, but I mean, and I'm not going to tell her not to pray because that's, you know, she wouldn't understand. The point is, 
that's not the miracles we need, right? We, we, think, we laugh about it. We, we say miracles. We, we always use the word in the wrong way. We, we, a lot of times we do. But I'll tell you what. A lot of people in this world have needed miracles. I mean, if you ever heard the stories of the miraculous uh, surviving of people, it, I, I love listening to like podcasts and things of people, the stories of just how they, how they make it. It's just impossible. Like mountains and Mount Everest, uh, K2, and there's no way they're supposed to survive and they make it. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, I heard a story of a of a man, maybe you heard the story, December 7, 2007, there's two brothers actually, uh, the Marino brothers, were washing the windows on one of the highest skyscrapers in New York City, and the structure collapsed from 47 floors. Um, one, the, the brother Edgar died on the spot, but his brother survived, completely survived, unbelievable. He had to go through 16 operations, he broke his ribs, both his legs, his right arm, severely damaged his spine, but he survived, and they called his recovery Miraculous. If you think of the 9-11, the, 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 the last two guys that were pulled out, we saw the video on 9-11, that's miraculous. The, the two towers fell on their heads. I mean, literally fell on their heads, and they survived. And you could think through many stories of people. There's a little story of a little boy who uh, was a young boy, and he survived what they call orthopedic decapitation. It's a pretty nasty word. But basically... His skull separating from the rest of his body should not have survived. 1% or less chance of survival. They said they had 20 churches praying for them. He, they were Christians. 20 churches were praying for them. He reconnected, they reconnected his spine to his skull, and three months later he was discharged from school and is now a normal, healthy boy. And you look at those situations, and they're big. And you think, wow, those are amazing. I mean, I lived with a, you know, all my life, I lived with a miracle. My brother Wayne. And... and and a miracle, I mean, an absolute walking miracle, right? We have in our parking lot, miracles. You go to school in a miracle. Do you understand this, young people? It's a miracle that what God has done. And I'm telling you, some of you right, here, right now are in need of a miracle. Let me give you something here. I want you to listen very carefully. When you are presented with an impossibility... You can and you will experience the manifest power and presence of God when you take a step of faith. We're going to look very quickly at Joshua chapter 3 and then move to another passage as well, where God did something special. God did something special, but God had to wait for his people to obey. Young people, I'm telling you right now, some of you are facing the most insurmountable mountain in your life. You've been sick. You've, you, you've had all these classes. We've had TGYS, and now we've had the conference. We have Christmas. You have Greek. You have Bible doctrines. You have you know, music lessons. You've got you fill in the blank. You have impossibilities. You have financial difficulties. You can't pay your bill. You name it. When presented with an impossibility, God wants to do something. He's just waiting for you. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3 is a very familiar passage of Scripture. The Israelites are standing on the brink of the Jordan River. They're standing there because they can't get across. Just like the Red Sea... Just like they experienced with Moses, here they are with Joshua, and an absolute impossibility. There's no way they can get across. For time's sake, I can't go fully into it like I normally would in this message. 
But Joshua cries out to God. God gives him direction. God tells him what they're going to do. And what does the instruction involve? Hey, uh, get four of your priests, grab the ark like you normally would, and uh, walk in the water. Now, it's not a, a puddle like my son loves to splash in. You ever seen two and a half year old boys in a puddle? They are attracted to puddles. They love going in puddles. It's nice because puddles are just small, okay? So that's fine. And especially when they're muddy and, you know, mommy always loves that when daddy lets Daniel get in the puddle. That's always great. Uh, puddles are fine. This was no puddle. This was no wading pool. This was not even a regular pool. This was not just a little river with a trickle going across. No, this was a massive, absolutely overwhelming, flooding river. Think Mississippi River, even bigger. Massive. Overflowing its banks. It was the time of harvest. Absolutely huge. When they would have stepped in that, in that water, they could have, probably would have, drowned. That's what God told them to do. God told them, get into the river. Verse 13, it says this, It shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan. That the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon as, and heap. And it came to pass, as the people removed there from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they, bet, they that bear the ark were coming unto Jordan, the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, just barely touching the water. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose up about a heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zeratan. And those that came down towards the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. Let's stop right here. Young people, we've heard this story so many times. But think about it. Water doesn't do that. Right? Talk to me now. Is that right? Where I know we're in a mess, I know we're in a, in a formal chapel setting. Is that right? Does water do that normally? No. The water just backed up. Boom. Can you imagine being a soldier standing on the on the on the the top of the wall of Jericho? Just watching the, you know, the, you see the crowd of Israelites across the river. The walls of Jericho are huge. And all of a sudden, the river, which is your barrier to keep this horde of millions of people from coming on your land, just, poop disappears. Just gone. I don't care how battle-hardened you were. I think that would probably be disturbing. <laughs> your lifeblood just dis like, literally just rolled up. I don't know if it was a, I mean, I don't know how it all looked. We don't know. But it was gone. But why was it gone? Because some priests... Stepped in the water. Listen to me, young people. They stepped in the water. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but some of you need to step in the water. It's an impossibility, Mr. Van. You don't understand. I don't know how to do it. I don't Trust the Lord. Take a step of faith. Typically in your life, and in some situation, God gives you a step of obedience or a step of faith to take. A lot of times, because we're so overwhelmed with worry and doubt and fear and hopelessness, we miss that step. Or we say, no. I can't do that. I, God, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. 
This is impossible. If you're fighting with God about something, that typically would mean to me and to you and to all of us, that would be the step you take. Right? Dr. Jim has always said this. I've heard this for years. And several of my classmates, now staff members, wives, guys use this phrase in their lives to bring them to BCM. You don't fight against nothing. Is that true? Absolutely true. If you're thinking, oh, man, I don't know. God's saying, hey, you have an impossibility in your class. I want you to do this to help. I have even an impossibility here. I want you to do this. I want you to take this step. I want you to take this step. And you're saying, mm, I don't know. These priests, we don't know. We're not told their thoughts. But if I was Eliezer at the front corner, or, you know, I don't know, whoever his name is, Abraham or whatever, I would probably be thinking, I'm going to die. I'm carrying the ark. This was no, you know, light thing here. This was heavy. It took four men to shoulder. I'm going to die. I'm going to walk in, stumble, fall, drown. But God told me, here we go. Right? God told them, and they obeyed. We're looking at, really, what I've called in the message that I preached about this, called them wet feet miracles. Wet feet miracles. Some of you are in need of that. The Bible is full of them. We're going to look at another one and really actually open that up in just a second. But just to tell you about a few of them, think about it. Wet feet miracles, impossibilities. Obviously, the, the one we would think of is Peter. He gets out of the boat. He gets out of the boat. Well, we all think of Peter as the guy who sank. Have you all walked in water before? Ever? No. Peter joined a very exclusive club of two. He sunk. I know he did. But he walked before he sank. He got out of the boat. He got out of the boat in a storm. I don't know about you. Have you been on a storm, on a big body of water in a storm? My wife and I have. Gulf of Mexico. I won't go into that story. But we were close to possibly losing our lives on that one. I have no desire to get out of any boat. In any situation. Peter did he had so much faith in the man that he was looking at, his Savior, Jesus Christ. He had so much faith that he knew, hey, I'm going to step out. God's going to do something, and he did. Who are you looking at? Where's your focus? Abraham and Sarah. Uh, slightly impossible to have a baby when you're that old. Like, completely impossible. And not with God. Uh, David. It's, it's completely impossible for a little teenager to kill a giant. Completely. But God did it. Moses. To, when, when, the, when they were delivered from Israel, the 12 plagues, uh, that's called an absolute impossibility. Moses didn't even want to talk. They went in front of Pharaoh, and God delivered the people. You can look through Gideon. And the 300 against the Midianites. And there's so many, <coughs> excuse me, others. Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. He's supposed to be dead. God shuts the mouth of the lions. His three friends are thrown into a fiery furnace. They don't burn. Folks, I know we know these stories, but these are miracles. It's just God saying, hey, this is what I can do. Let me ask you a question. Does that same God reside in you? Can I ask you a question? Why do you think my daughter thinks she can pray for the Braves to win? Like I said earlier. 
Why do you think she does? Because she knows that God lives inside of her. The simple, pure faith of a four and a half year old girl should be an example to all of us. Now, I'm not saying we should pray for the you know, sports teams to win. Now, Dr. Charlie Kittrell, that's a whole other story if you want to hear about that sometime. He actually prayed for a field goal to, to miss, and it did. <laughs> uh, for some I don't remember what it was for. Um, my, my great-grandma is also, also I, think, I think, did that. But there, you know, that's, that's different. You have to be led of the Lord to be able to do that. But you know what? My daughter, <laughs> I'm serious, really, led of the Lord. My daughter doesn't know any better. If she has a need, guess what? She talks to God about it. She'll tell us all the time. Well, I prayed about that, Mommy, Daddy. I prayed about that. Or I'm going to pray about that. She was in that, we were in the office before church one day uh, on Sunday night, and she just bowed her head, prayed out loud that she needed to be better with Daniel, be a good girl with, with her brother. Right there. Wh- where is our faith like that? You know what, where the problem is? We've forgotten who God is. We treat the stories in this Bible like they're nice little children's stories we put on some kind of flannel graph. No, no, no. These are for us to learn and to be encouraged by. Because God can still do it. Now, God doesn't normally, <coughs> in this day and age, do massive mega miracles like sometimes in the Bible. We see, he doesn't roll rivers back and those things. But I dare say a bus is just as big a miracle. I dare say an eight, the Heritage Center is just as big a miracle. And five acres of land where the money came into the tea on the day of is a miracle just like that. And when you see the people of God and the faith of God's people putting in, I remember in that prayer meeting, we prayed for that bus. That was amazing. God honored the faith of college students. It's amazing. What, God, what is God asking you to do? God, there's so many examples. So many examples. Let me ask you a question, though. Why isn't it happening in your life? There's blockages. There's things in the way in our lives. Now, I will tell you, the biggest thing that blocks, the biggest aspect in our life that blocks God from working, besides all the sin issues and all those things which we can talk about, but I want to focus on one thing right now this morning. Fear of failure. You know, you know the reason some of you don't participate, and this is just practical life, participate in certain activities? Why? Fear of failure. Now, when you're 34, you used to be a sports guy, and you don't participate in activities, it's not fear of failure, it's knowledge of future failure. <laughs> okay, it's a little different. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? But some of you never go into games or different things or participate in big activities or opportunities because you fear that you will fail. Am I right? It's, it's, it's there. We're human beings. Now, some of you probably should have a little check on your, you know, maybe you should have a little fear of failure because some of you just kind of bull right through. But you know what I'm talking about. God says, hey, take a step of obedience. Do this, do that. And you say, ah, ah. Okay, well, my classmate, he just stepped in the water, and the water parted, and a miracle happened. And over here, you know, he, he prayed for a miracle, and God gave him the money for his school bill. And he prayed for strength, and God gave it to him. And he prayed for God would help him with this test, and he got an A, but uh, I don't know. What, what if nothing happens? What, what if? You're doubting God. God's right there. I give the illustration of, of the fact that I, I, I hate underwater. Okay, I was dunked underwater by my, my brother and his friends when I was growing up. They were younger. Um, I forgive them. Uh, but I'm afraid of underwater. I'm just, I'm just to be honest. I can swim to save my life, um, and I'll help my kids and everything in the pool. 
but definitely not my forte. But I will tell you this, I was on a cliff on our canoeing trip on our youth group, we were way up in the, uh, in, the, in the boundary waters, up near the boundary waters of Minnesota, on an awesome youth group trip, Pastor Schultz organized it way back in the day, 15, 16 years ago, and uh, I'm on this cliff up in these islands, and we're gonna jump off, all these guys are jumping off, and I'm like, this guy sometime, like, eh, it was like a 15 foot whatever, and I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do that, no way, not, not a chance, because whatever comes down has to go under the water, way under the water, you're wearing his life jacket still, but there's no way, and so I'm up there just talking with the guys, and they're pushing me hard, pushing me hard, pushing me hard. My dad pulls up in this, in this canoe, and the guys that said, you know, Pastor Schultz and other guys, all my uh, youth leaders, they're like, we're there, we'll be, you'll be fine, we'll be there. I'm like, nah, it's okay, I don't, I don't want to do it. And they kept just pushing me, all the guys, all especially the youth guys, my friends. My dad came up in his canoe, he was the preacher, he and Dr. Jim were preaching at the camp. He was in a button-down shirt, khakis, I mean, he was just going back to his campsite. We, all, we had to canoe everywhere, it was a really cool thing, uh, opportunity. Um, but... He, uh, he pulled up, and I jumped. And everyone was like, why did you, we could have helped, why did you jump? And I said, my dad was there. I was dressed in khakis and a button-down. Didn't matter, my dad's an expert swimmer. My dad was there. I don't care if Michael Phelps would have been there. If you don't know that, he's the best swimmer in the, in the history of the world, great swimmer. I don't care, I would not have jumped. My dad showed up. Do we get this here? Because my dad loves me like nobody else loves me at that time. You know what I'm saying? Like, honestly, my parents, besides, besides my, my wife and my kids loving me, my, my dad probably loves me the most than anybody else. I knew that. So when I jumped, I don't care. I, wanted, I jumped thinking this is the dumbest thing I'm doing, but I'm getting these guys off my back. I'm going to jump. But I know my dad's there, and something happens, he'll get me. That's even eternally more. That's what God is. He's right there. He's right there, and he's waiting, young people. He doesn't push you. He gives you a free will, but he says, hey, step in the water. Obey me. Watch me work. But we say, oh, I don't. We, we have unbelief in our lives. Well, what's the result of a wet feet miracle? Well, we know what happened. The waters parted. They put that memorial there, stones in there. In the middle of the water, or middle of, the, of where the water would come back, and they went forward and defeated Jericho. They had the little problem at AI. Not a little bit of a big problem, but AI. A blip on the radar of all the rest of the miracles and victories that they saw. Do you think that if one of those priests would have disobeyed God and God would not have worked and the water would not have parted, that the Israelites would not have believed Joshua when he said, walk around the wall seven times? What do you think? I'm just supposing right now. What do you think? If I would have been in the front there and watched it, and priests walk in, they stumble, fall in there, the ark tips into the water, nothing happens. Or the guys don't go, God doesn't work, the, 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 the river never parts, that they finally get across, it takes a lot of struggle, it doesn't, it's kind of embarrassing, we get there, and, and then Joshua says, hey, let's walk around the city seven times for seven days. No, it didn't work over there, let's not do this, this is loony. Because God worked, these people followed their leader. They obeyed. Look what even a, mother, a, a bigger miracle happened. The walls fell flat and they destroyed the city. And then the entire land was conquered. That is God showing his power. But I will tell you what, it took some people obeying him. Young people, God wants to work and he'll do something. Now I'm going to tell you right now, money doesn't grow on trees. It doesn't come, you know, when you pray for God to deliver your financial situation, it's not like that day a check is going to be in your mailbox. 
Now, it might. There were a few times back in the early marriage where I struggled really trusting God with finances. I mean, I struggled. Ask my wife. I struggled. Wow. I get worried. I get, oh, just sick to my stomach. I would just get tied up in knots. And I think God taught me. It was, a th- it was like three different situations in a row. Our brakes in our car, different things. God literally paid for all of it. Boom, boom, boom. And it was literally right after I just said, God, okay. Okay, I'm trusting you. Bam, money came. And then the fourth time, or whatever it was the next time, it didn't happen like that. But God was teaching me, I'll take care of you. And the next one was a different lesson. He always took care of me. In their nine and a half years of marriage, God has always taken care of everything. The stuff that I have and the things that I've done, I don't have the money for, but God provided it. God's taken care of it. God does the impossible. Now, here's the question, and here's where we're going to pivot to our next part for just a few minutes, and it's really the most important part of this morning. What does it take to experience a wet feet miracle? What does it take to experience a wet feet miracle? I want you to go, please, to 2 Chronicles, please. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And this is, this is the passage, this is the story of Jehoshaphat facing the Ammonites, the Moabites, and him getting a choir to sing, <laughs> and God working. But I have, and don't, don't freak out, this will, be, this will be fast, but I have 12 steps that I was thinking in the message, I think it was Dr. Flanders preached from this passage, and 12 different things God gave me from here, and I'm just going to run through it really fast. Don't worry, it's not going to go long. But... This was an impossible situation. An absolutely overwhelming army came, and it wasn't looking good. And this is what happened. Verse number one, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them the other of the Ammonites against Jehoshaphat, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea of this side Syria, and behold, they be in Hazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. Look at verse three. And Jehoshaphat feared. What, what would be your reaction to that? <coughs> You're the king, and here comes a massive group of people, right? What would be your reaction to an seemingly impossible circumstance? Now, as we see, Jehoshaphat immediately pivoted to seeking the Lord. But what would be your reaction? Let me ask you, young people, what is your reaction right now? What are you living in? You know, a lot of you are professional fakers. And that's not a knock on you. Join the club. I was a pastor's kid. Okay? I had to fake it at times. Just in the sense of, like, you know, everybody expects me to be something. And I struggled in those, those times. And some of you can put a good, not, not, not all of you, by the way. I think some of you think you're faking it. But you can see, okay? Now, by the way, the, wind, the windows to your soul are right here, right? And a lot of you put the smile up, but your, your eyes show a different story. Excuse me. Some of you are experiencing hopelessness right now. Anger, resentment, worry, distrust, frustration. You're blaming someone, something, in some circumstance. Because right now you're facing this impossibility, whatever it might be. And young person, it's a natural reaction in the human sense to have one of these, right? 
humanly, something's happening. It's impossible. Ah, or, right? Or especially if it's a long-term thing, you get more and more and more and more and more problematic. You fear more. You get more hopeless. You just get discouraged. You get depressed, and you're just falling. Here's Jehoshaphat faced with an impossibility. The first thing we see is that he was fearful. But the second thing we see is that he sought the Lord. Immediately, Jehoshaphat says he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And they gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, even out of all the cities of Judah that came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat, his first thing he did was said, hey, we're going to seek God. We're going to do whatever it takes to get a hold of God. Young people, I think we fall off the boat right here. We get off track right at this moment. We don't do what it takes to get a hold of our God. We do a lot of things to talk about our problems to other people. Or moan and complain inside about them, right? Which is, by the way, just as bad as moaning and complaining to everybody else. But we all have problems. But I feel like as young people, we start by talking about it and complaining about it and sitting there being discouraged when the first thing we should do is say, God, I need to get a hold of you. God, I need you. I don't care what it takes. They proclaim to fast. But wait, fasting is not fun. I've been doing a little more here and there, you know, losing weight. Just naturally, don't have a big desire for eating a ton of food. But deli- once you deliberately fast, all of a sudden you become really hungry. You ever experienced that? Like, I mean, so hungry. The first time I did a long fast, three-day fast, asked my wife, <sighs> did it with the staff. I could not even, I, I was just, I, I was like, I, I don't know what to do with myself. Like, I'd never done three days before. I mean, I'd done little times. I'd done a lunch. I'd done like a half a day or a day. Wow, that's, guess what? You're sacrificing. But what do you need to sacrifice? What do you need to do just to get a hold of God? Instead of moping around, complaining, saying cutting comments, hurting people in your dorm room, hurting your siblings, right? Getting yourself in other trouble. Instead of all that, why don't we stop and seek the Lord? And do whatever it takes. Jehoshaphat did whatever it takes. They all came. The whole <clears throat> country of Judah came to seek God. And then what did they do? When they sought God, this is the next step here, this is number three, they worshiped and praised God for who he is, who he was. That is the first step, I'll tell you right now. If you can look at God for who he is, a lot of times we have a hard time with that. All you see is this. You see that's just the, the dirtiness of the world. You see the problems of your life. And you have a hard time wrenching yourself off of yourself and looking upwards to heaven. Thank God for who he is. Start by seeing God through the lens of his word, not through the lens of your circumstance. Does that make sense? Do you believe this, that God is still God no matter what circumstance you're in? I should have had a rallying amen on that one. Is God still God? He's always God. But how do we live, young people? All of us at times, we live as though God is a liar. But doesn't he say in his word that nothing is impossible? Doesn't he say in his word that he is good and that he loves you? And that Yes? But we live our life as though he said none of that. Or that's a big joke. We would never say that. We would never maybe think those exact things. But the way we're living our life, we don't 
Worship and praise God for who he is. I'll tell you, if you start right then, first thing, walk out of this chapel and say, God, thank you for just loving me. Thank you for being a God of love and a God of holiness. And, a God, and start walking through the attributes of God for real. Not just checking a box in your prayer time, but for real saying, God, thank you for who you are. I want to worship you for who you are. So, Mr. Man, I'm not, it's not really praying about my situation. That's, that's, you, that's the only way you're going to see anything happen is by starting to talk about who, worship God for who he is. Number four, nine, verses 9 through 12, and I had, for time, we can't go through all of them. They petition God specifically. Verses 5 through 8 was, verse, was, was number three, worshiping God for who he is. They talk about how, who, who, you know, God and who he is and what he's done for them and his power. Verses 9 through 12, they petition God specifically. Specific prayers. God, just get me out of the situation. No, God, please help me to learn what you want me to learn. And do a work here. God doesn't want just, you know, general prayers. You know, my, my four-year-old daughter, just keep going back to her, but she prays a general prayer for her to, you know, be helped with Daniel. I could think of a few things that she could pray specifically. Right? And I remind them of her, to her every day. But she's, in her general prayer, is praying that God would help her. Now, we as, as, as uh, mature adults, <clears throat> grain of salt there, um, for some of you, <laughs> excuse me, um, <clears throat> we sometimes just throw up a flare prayer to God. That's not what we're talking about here, folks. Joshua was facing imminent destruction, like right there, out there. They were just, they were coming down in Getty, just north of where they were. They were coming at him. And what did Jehoshaphat do? God, we need you to work here. And you see that in verse number 10, you, that, you know, you see these people, and we need, you to, we need you to do something right now. Uh, these people, we need you to destroy them. We need you to, to knock this army out. We need help, specifically. And then, one of the most important steps, verses 13 to 17 Number five here, listen to God's voice. They prayed, they worshiped God, and then they stopped and they listened. Now, did God speak from heaven? He did, but uh, it wasn't like a voice. It was through a person called uh, Jehaziel. Upon him came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation, and he said which would be the words of the Lord, right? Can I tell you something? No matter who it comes from or how it comes to you, you need to listen to God's voice. There's a movement today that discounts authorities in your life. You have to hear God's voice. Well, that's exactly right. Agreed a million percent. And by the way, if you can't get a hold of God yourself, that's a problem. But God didn't accidentally drop you into a college. Right? It wasn't like we were, he was guiding your life and then tripped and then dropped you into BCM and went, oh, well, we'll just keep him there for four years. That wasn't how it worked, folks. Why do you say it like that? Well, because there's authorities in college. Well, they're just my authorities. I have to listen to God. Well, yes, but do you think God has something for you to hear through your authorities? Do you think God has something to hear, something you to hear through your dorm roommates? Oh, I didn't get an amen on that one. 
Mr. Van, you don't even know. Yeah, God uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise sometimes. And sometimes your dorm mates who literally say out of 10 times would say nine things wrong would open their mouth. And even if you didn't, if you know it wasn't the right spirit, God was saying, listen to that guy right there. You need, you need what you're, he's saying. But some of you get so bound up but by, by hearing other people. Let me just tell you right now, if you can't listen to your authorities at college or your pastor, you're probably not listening to your parents. And probably you've never listened to God in your life. Right? Hello. Quiet in here. Some of you need to open your ears to God's voice. Now, I'm not discounting going into your closet and prayer closet and getting a hold of God's voice. You have to. I, as, a, as, a, as a man, as a leader of my life, in my, in my home, I have to get a hold of God. I have to know personally what God's saying for me and my family. I know that. But there are times... When my father, who is very privileged, always have my pastor as my father, but looks me in the eyes and says, Daniel, you need to do this. I'm not going to go look at him and go, well, let me pray about that. Right? If I'm walking with God and really, want God's, really, really, really want God's uh, wisdom, and I'm open... When God speaks through a man of God, or through your parents, or through an authority, or through a classmate, or through anything, when you're open and he speaks, you know it's God. If you're resisting, you don't want to hear God's voice. Does that make sense? I'm not saying we should blindly listen to every single thing everybody says. You know, you have a financial issue. Well, go and rob a bank. Oh, my roommate said it. That was it. Let's go. I'm using the extreme example. Obviously. You have to know it's God's word and compare it to God. But I'm telling you, if you're seeking for God, he will find you. If you're drawn out of God, he will draw out of you. And God uses the human beings in this world. Guys, he doesn't just use supernatural events all the time. Boom, 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 thunder, lightning. Right? We're human beings and he uses the human things of this world. If he's going to use us, he uses other things as well for us to, to hear. So if you're open to him and you're listening to him, he's talking to you. How many messages have you skipped out on this year because you didn't want to hear it? I have. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I, I, hear the, I, I hear that. I feel convicted, but you know what, God, I'm searching. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? We kind of just selectively push it away. We're not listening to God, no matter here it comes from. Number six, worship and praising God for what he has done. Verse 18 and 19, they've been told already, verse 17, by the way, uh, for time's sake, I skipped it, but ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Whoo, that's, what did we say again? That's great. Oh, um, we're, that's a, that's a, that's an army. This is not going to work, right? No, 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 no. These people didn't look at that and see the plan and go, I don't know if it's going to work. What did they do in verse 18, 19? They bowed their head to the face of the ground, Jehoshaphat did, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then the end of verse 19, they stood up with the praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. What did they do? The victory wasn't even won yet. Are you listening to me? The victory was not won yet. They were praising God for what he was about to do. Young person, when's the last time you got in your dorm room and you got before God and you said, God, thank you for the victory. You're going to work in my life. I'm trusting you. I'm excited. And you get up and nothing has even happened yet, but you're excited because God's going to do it. You know why you don't get to that point? Because you're skipping the ones before it. 
You haven't even sought God. You've just moaned and complained. You're not going to praise God for who he is if you're complaining about the situation. Right? By the way, that is one of our biggest sins as 18 to 22-year-olds anywhere in the world. Complain. Right? It's, and there's a lot of reasons for it. But I'll tell you what. I think I say that word and I can see some, hmm. Because we all do it. And maybe some of us did it this morning. Maybe it didn't come out of our mouths, but it was in our heads after our tests, after our quizzes. Number seven, I have to hurry. Just breathing these through. Number seven, they believed God. Verse 20, Joshua says, believe, believe in the Lord your God. So shall be established. Believe his prophets. So shall you prosper. He's just reminding, hey, let's step out. It's in faith. Believe who he is, what he said. If, all the, Bible, if the Bible is true, then all of that's in the Bible is true. What God has said, it's true. You can believe it. Joshua was reminding his people, okay, we're praising God. Just a reminder, believe God. Then number eight, step out in faith. Verse 21 and 22, they stepped out. There's a whole different message, but they had a choir. I love music, and I'm a self-professed music nerd. Last time I checked, that does not work. Army, massive army, and a bunch of singers. I mean, if the noise was that bad, they could probably drive them away. But that does not work. You know what God was doing? He was putting them in an absolute impossible situation that they had no choice but to believe their God. Right? Here's a river. Walk into it. Here's a fiery furnace. Stand up. Don't, don't bow. I'm putting you in there. Pray. I'm putting you in a, I'm putting you in a, a den of lions. There's a 10-foot giant, David. Go get him. Now you're only two feet tall, but go get him. What's God doing? He's showing his power. He's saying, hey, just so you know, Satan's trying to stir up some, some bad guys over here against my, my people, but I'm, I'm the creator of this world. And I want you to just sing and praise me because I'm going to show you what, how it's done. I don't, need, I don't need warriors. I don't need chariots. I don't need horses. I don't need any men. I've got this. Guess what God, guess what God does, right? He doesn't need us, folks. He just needs us to trust him. Look what happens. They got their, their singers together. By the way, I would have loved to hear that, that choir. That would have been amazing. They began, when they began to sing and praise. Can you imagine? Okay, let's sing. Here we go. Let's sing. We're going to sing, and the miracle happened. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were coming to Judah, and they were smitten. And they destroyed each other. You hear what's happening? God did a miracle. Victory. Once you know what God wants in the situation, go for it. Step in the water. It, it seems like an absolute craziness with a choir or whatever it might, might be. God is just waiting for you to step out there push them. The victory happened, verse 22. That's, verse, that's, that, that's the ninth thing on the step you're putting down there. The victory that happened. They didn't even fight. Victory happened. God wants to do that. God wants to show you that. And the last three here, it's after everything happened. Verses 27 through 28, what happens? Joy and praise. They praise God. They were joyful. They rejoiced. They psalteries and harps and trumpets under the house of the Lord. What do you see, by the way, in this passage? A lot of singing. A lot of, 
of, of praise. What is in your, what's in your soul? What erupts out of your mouth when a situation happens? A song? I know there'll be people that do, it does. Or does words of anger and what, what happens? And then after something happens and God does the work, what's the first thing out of your mouth? First thing out of your mouth was thankfulness and praise to who God was. Never take things for granted. Always be thankful for what God has done in your life. Are you thankful? Thankfulness beforehand, thankfulness after. Number 11, fear of God will come on the enemy. Satan and the world will know, once again, who God is. And the cause of Christ will advance forward every time it happens. And then verse number 12, verse 30, I'm not even reading all these, but peace and rest. God gave peace. God will bless your life. You know, it's not going to be butterflies and peanut butter chocolate the rest of your life. Laugh line did not work. Okay. Kidding. But you know, it's not going to be that. Oh, man, God worked. It's going to be the easy life now. No, it's, that's not true. You're going to have a trial after trial and an impossibility. You're going to mount all the time. But I will tell you this. If you want to begin to experience the, the, the presence, the incredible, the specific, loving, overwhelming love of your God in a way you've never known, get into the water. Step into the water. Believe God. Go after it. Obey him. And you will see God, experience God in a way you've never experienced. He will answer your prayer. He will bless your life. He will guide you. He will strengthen you. And you'll want more of it. And you'll want to keep seeing it in your life. They didn't get angry at God. Joshua didn't get angry at God. Jehoshaphat didn't get angry at God. They were humans. Guarantee you there were thoughts of, oh boy, in their minds. But what did they do? They took steps of faith. They sought their God. And they said, God, whatever it takes, I'm going to follow you. Now, people, honestly, we're getting off the train. And the first thing, are we even seeking God? In our own situations. We can all say it really well. We are really good at saying, well, I'm just having to trust the Lord. While inside, we're not even anywhere close to that. What is it for you today? Are you able to see the impossibility as an opportunity for God to work? Or are you crushed under that impossibility today?